Welcome to Media Roots Radio. Welcome. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. Wow, what an overwhelming couple of weeks. Um, done with breaking the set. Breaking the set is no more. Feels really weird, but also very exciting. It almost feels like yesterday when I remember doing the break or the Media Roots episode with you. We were talking about how excited we all were when breaking yeah. the set first started. And it was a it was a very exciting time and um you know you how many episodes did you five hundred and thirty yeah five hundred and thirty four Jesus Amazing. Christ I mean that that alone is a crazy accomplishment I mean I just can't even imagine I mean so it's truly an amazing legacy and uh, yeah I mean. Who knows what RT is going to do in the future? You know, if anyone yeah. is going to be able to fill your shoes over there, um, and uh, it's it's definitely it's it's exciting to venture into the unknown. And yeah, I mean, it, the, it, I know a lot of people have been wondering what the hell happened, why did the show end? Um, I left on completely my own terms, and I ended the show because I cared so much about it because I didn't want it to feel old. And I didn't want people to say, I've heard her say this before. I heard this rant before. So it's almost like I had to end that in that capacity, my news delivery, just because I felt like it was time to venture out into a new thing. And especially going on the ground and being able to go to Guantanamo Bay and going to Cuba and doing these really in-depth investigative pieces, it made me realize that that's what I want to be doing. There's only so much you can really do from the studio just reporting other people's stories you know and i'm eternally grateful for the platform rt gave me so much fucking space to just do it whatever the hell i wanted you won't the the problem with and i've said this multiple times i said it on piers morgan and i'll say it again is that um the reason that people go to RT is because it's the only network that gives you the platform to talk about like the corporatocracy and US empire and militarism. You just won't see anything like that on Western media or any sort of like corporate media. And I, and I, unfortunately I feel like I'm unhirable by pretty much everyone. And I'm not talking about the corporate media. That's completely out of the question. I would never want to go to the corporate media, obviously, but I mean, even like alternative media, I think it's, it's too scary for people to take on because even alternative media has funding, has advertisers. They might have friends in high places and it's kind of scary to venture out knowing that I literally have made not, not necessarily enemies, but have not, you know, I haven't like, wavered in my critique of like everyone across the board and i think that's that's going to be a tough road if i want to go on another like international platform but who knows yeah i mean the internet is an international platform Mm -hmm. um i mean independent you know there's a lot of people who've done very well by just going independent um but yeah i mean what you say is true there are very limited options out there for what you did on breaking the set, you know, and I, I think I was starting to see things evolving more towards that direction, Mm -hmm. you know, like after first look in the intercept, I was, my, my hope was that things would evolve more towards like a more sort of quote unquote radical left position in general. And that would become, Mm -hmm. you know, more like a less of a fringe thing, more of a mainstream thing, but I don't see that happening anymore. I feel like the pendulum is kind of swinging back the other way. Like, um, like people just seem like they 
I don't know. I don't know. How to explain it. I I feel like the Syria and Ukraine thing yeah. really sort of broke, yeah. shattered the left yep. in a weird way. Um, you know, it, not not like the Tea Party shattered the Republican Party, but kind of a similar thing among you know very like the anti-war crowd, for example. Um, it took them a while, I think, to start really going after Obama, and once they started to, it seems like the Syria thing just really kind of set it back again. Like people it's kind of like divided. Like a lot of people are pro U S military intervention who normally wouldn't have been pro U S military intervention in other situations. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that's entirely relevant to what you're saying. It got, it got weird. It definitely got weird. Um, especially with the left. And if I can say just one more thing about, um, breaking the set is that I'm just completely, you know, it's really difficult doing the show day in and day out. And, having to put like a five day a week fucking show with a skeleton crew. Like literally I had two people for quite a while, um, helping me put on the show. And it was just, you know, when you feel so mentally strained at points and you're just getting so much hate all the time and it's, it wears you down. But then once, once the show came to a close, you know, finally I have like time to breathe and look back and be like, Holy shit. Like, we really did a lot. Like we did more than any other television show in the history of television in terms yeah. of news. We did, we covered more in one episode than you'll see in an entire year of watching mainstream media. We were able to do so much and, and speak to such fascinating people and really bring what I originally wanted to do with media roots when we first started it to fruition in a, t- in a daily show. And I think we really did that. We gave voices to alternative musicians like you and all these underground hip hop artists who are like subversive and, you know, speaking out. Um, And then all of these grassroots activists, like what the fuck other channel would ever give these people a platform? Like it just doesn't exist. And that's why I joined RT in the first place, because of the platform they were giving to Occupy Wall Street people and say what you will about RT. Of course, there's a bias. It's funded by the Russian government. It's in the fucking name. Navigate around that just like you would any other channel. You navigate around where you know that their funding comes from and get the truth from a variety of different sources. And, you know, but it is weird when the world is demonizing Russia. And when you when you see, like, things are very convoluted. The Ukraine issue is so fucking convoluted. The Syria issue is very convoluted. It's very confusing. And I just saw a lot of just complete reactionaries in both directions and and very very little nuanced discussion about either of those things and that was really distressful for me kind of during these two huge events especially when the u.s military is getting involved and the u.s government's funding these fucking rebels and funding the ukrainian government and when you feel like people aren't like looking at it from an objective point of view and they're either like Russia is great and the U S government's bad or that the U S government's bad and, or I'm sorry, the U S government's good and Russia's evil. And, and it was just really dumb. It was a very dumb thing and it's still going on. It's going on more than ever. Um, and I just went on a tangent, but I wanted to close out about the breaking the sets up by just saying thank you to everyone for their support, because it's hard to, when you're living that day to day to like really, understand how impactful the show was how many people were inspired by it and i've gotten just an overwhelming amount of support and letters and notes from people saying you know you inspired me to be a journalist i've started my own project like the show set new barriers it's groundbreaking just this archive will exist forever 
you know, that generations from now it'll still be relevant. Cause I mean, a lot of the stuff will be, I tried to do a lot of shit that was completely timeless that yeah. will be relevant for years to come. Like, because I think that so much of the conventional wisdom that exists needs to be shattered and that needs to be living on forever as long as YouTube exists or before they shut down RT if they ever do. But thank you everyone for your incredible support. And I, I, I just, you know, I, I need to make it clear that I am not dying <laughs> and I'm not going anywhere. Yes, I'm leaping in the unknown without another platform, but but people like me and like the Amber Lions of the world and different people, it's not that you can just jump into another network or that we want to. People like us, you don't really fit into the mold. Like I've spoken out against every corporation under the sun, every government under the sun. So you can't just go into another like job. This is the kind of thing where you, you know, if they're if there isn't an existing platform out there, then you're just going to have to go independent. And I'm, I mean, if people want to call me a sellout, that's fine, but I don't see how jumping into like a complete unknown future with no income is selling out. I think it's the opposite of <laughs> selling have, out. That's like, funny that people have accused you of that. Oh yeah. Oh, that's people ridiculous. have accused me of fucking everything. Like it's amazing. Um, well, but you know, I, but yeah, back to the reactionary thing. If there's anything you wanted to add before we get into that. Well, I just wanted to say that, the Ukraine situation was really difficult for you because I know that you wanted to talk about it and I know that you, you know, like you wanted to talk about it more probably than you, Mm -hmm. like you got a chance to, but it's like, it's, I'm just putting myself in your shoes. Like if I was an RT and you know, you're, you're in a position where it's like, if you start talking, say if you wanted to talk more, about what you disagreed with with the Russian moves in Ukraine, you know, you'd almost be feeding ammunition to the the U.S. government or the other side. Then they would latch onto that and be like, oh, look, she's speaking out against Russia again, and, you know, that kind of thing. Or then the other side of it is, you know, if you wanted to do, um, you know, more in-depth investigation, for example, into the coup in Ukraine right. that was engineered by people in the U.S. State Department and people in USAID, then people would accuse you of being just spreading Russian propaganda. Right. And that's and that goes back to what you were saying before, which is it's very convoluted because because Russia has used RT to spread a lot of their point of view on mm-hmm. on um, Ukraine. And I'm not talking about your show, you know, more right. just like right. the news headlines, the news that they do um, because of that. And because of the U.S. accusing all that as being propaganda, it's created this mess now sort of where it's very hard to actually parse out the different pieces and say an example. You almost have to go back and comb over all of it without looking at the the media coverage about it. Right. Like you just have to look at the individual components, you know, uh, like Victoria Newland's, um, you know, the phone call. What does that really mean? outside of the context of any of the Russian media coverage or the U.S. media coverage. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting story to be to be told there, but the problem is, you know, if you told that story and you told it all the time or tried to tell it, it would just be completely written off by people as Russian propaganda, which is very unfair, you know, but, and I, I guess that's, I mean, I don't know if I even made sense No, there, absolutely. But. No, I think you bring up a really good point. And that's, I felt so used after I spoke out and then you had the Liz Wall fucking moron completely trying to like spin the narrative. You had all these crazy neocons from the FPI, the Foreign Policy Initiative. If people don't know this story, check out our podcast on it. We'll link to it in the timeline. But so 
when that happened, I felt so fucking used by the US. Like I, I was like this pawn in between them where it's like RT's using me to say like, look, we have complete editorial freedom. And then the US government was being like, then they switched, of course, calling me a lunatic and stuff when they realized that they couldn't keep that narrative straight when RT like didn't fire me. But the thing is, RT couldn't fire me at that point. But the thing is, I'm not reactionary. And before yeah. we made that statement, before I made the statement on air, a year ago, actually, almost a year ago today, it was on March 3rd. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Um, oh, shit. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. I know. It's come That's full circle. fucking amazing. Yeah. Before that, we had done a podcast about how much, how cooey what was going on in Ukraine was. Like, we were questioning that shit from the beginning. But at the same time, Russia clearly fucked up. I, people yeah. to this day are like after I left RT and made my statement people were like oh yeah like the the girl who thought Russia invaded Crimea like good riddance you don't belong on this network it's like what the fuck are you talking about Russia did go in with military like Crimea could have easily annexed itself completely well, isolated yeah, I mean, from like anything that Russia did well, they fucked the up clearly yeah, and the, the referendum thing I mean obviously like as far as like agreeing with the the, the sort of I mean, I don't even say it's a green, but like the two things that to me are kind of unavoidable truths is that Russia did seize Crimea and decide to take it right. for themselves. And that they also, they tried to make it seem like it was like a referendum where Crimea was like voting to, to be like secede or whatever. Right. And that's, it's very hard for me to believe that that was legitimate. I don't, I'm not even saying that because of the stories I read about it, just because of the uh, circumstances. Right. I mean, it's obvious that Russia was playing a game just like the U.S. was. Yeah. But the thing was, Russia overreacted. I mean, they they knew, just like we knew, that a lot of that Ukraine Euromaidan protests um, against the sitting government was manufactured and exacerbated by U.S. Um, mm -hmm. attempts to destabilize the country. We know that. But Putin may, you know, reacted in a way, making it sort of seem like like he he didn't even he didn't push that angle entirely like he kind of just wanted to make it seem like the Crimean people you know were mostly ethnically russian and they wanted to secede when in reality you know if putin really wanted to be completely honest he would say nato engineered or partially engineered this this event in ukraine and we we find it completely unacceptable and because of that we're going to take part of crimea i mean right. that's to me the honest truth like so but the problem that you just raised is that people on both sides are so reactionary. Like on one side, you have like the Webster Tarpleys and yeah. the Lou Rockwells and the Paul Craig Roberts who are just like nothing that Russia did was bad or mis you know mishandled from you know even from a PR point of view it almost seems like they're okay with all that but it's like clear that you know Russia wanted to seize it as almost like because they wanted to show that the US couldn't fuck with them yeah and also I mean, a lot of the media coverage was fucking ridiculous that Russia put out i mean it, let's be fucking honest and 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 i've said that the, the initial statement i said the coverage was completely ridiculous on both sides it was all ridiculous and the people like Webster Tarpley might as well fucking be just working for the KGB because I've never met bigger apologists in my life not just them but it's like all of these people online that are so fucking reactionary it's like fine dude like if you think that Russia is can do no harm and no wrong then good for you but that's not reality that it's like 
reality is a lot more complex than that, dude. I just feel bad for these people, honestly. Well, it's and it, and it's because they've kind of been, you know, they've they've been pulled in different directions too, yeah. and that's the direction that they've chosen to go in. But that's the thing. It's like there wasn't enough room for actual critical examination mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. each one of these key events that took place. For example, the MH17. Right, and really quick, where oh, else sorry, have you ahead. seen? Where else have you seen even like critique of the coup? other than RT. That's the problem is that there's, you know what I mean? It's like, because it's on RT, it's like, oh, well, it's just RT propaganda. And you're like, but it's all like a lot of it's fucking credible and very disturbing. I mean, like when you watch, when you comb through the YouTube stuff, you can find very clearly things on RT that are like them just repeating talking points, you know, try to like tit for tat, get back at the US. And then there's other times where even that show in the now, you know, which is, which um, I, you know, some of some of it's actually pretty good content where it's just like, and they and they often just talk about the Ukraine mm-hmm. thing. It seems like that's their main focus, and some of it's actually totally true. Yeah. I mean, not not just some of it, most of it right, that right, I've right. seen is totally true. You know, and then there's other shows that you know have more opinion, people debating mm-hmm. about Ukraine, and some of those things people will say are true. I mean, Ray McGovern was even on Crosstalk. Mm-hmm a few days ago and he was saying a lot of um valid things but you know some of the things he was saying seemed maybe like a little bit like he might have been in the more of the pro-russian camp or something but like you you can't just look you can't just paint each thing as like oh this is propaganda this entire network right right is only propaganda because if you that like you said you're saying if you do that then you really have to then you almost write off the entire u.s media as well i mean right and and if you use that logic, you can really. I mean, if you want, you could say all of MSNBC is a you know General Electric uh, corporate um, news channel. But then sometimes Chris Hayes, you know, occasionally he'll do a really good segment right. on something that'll be like completely on the same page as you and I. Right. So you know, is he a is he a corporate propagandist? I mean. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a dumb, oversimplistic way of looking at this shit. And it's, it's like very a perfect, cold well, it's also era. very perfect because what, what else do you need other than to have people write off an entire network? You of know course. what I mean? I mean, that's like the perfect way that they've done it and they did it really successfully. And I think that the U the U S government itself couldn't figure out how they were going to handle RT. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, I think that they felt like they were really behind the curve, even though the U S government has outspent RT three times over with their radio free Europe and radio free Liberty branches all across the world. We know that the U S media has spent way more money than Russia to spread U.S. state-funded propaganda. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is a fact. Mm-hmm. Even though that's the, the truth, um, the U.S. government felt, I think, that they felt like they were behind the curve in this information war, and they were trying to sort of almost figure out in real time how to address it. First, mm-hmm. they said that it was all propaganda. It's all fiction. That was their M.O. for a while. And then all of a sudden, you started to see... And then... And then when Victoria Newland came out and said that thing about how it's just, oh, they have such a tiny audience, you know, it's right. totally meaningless. I think that that pointed to a turning point where the U.S. government or maybe people in the U.S. government started to realize we can't really fight this with our current sort of like information war apparatus. We can't. So it's almost like we just almost have to minimize it now. I mean, minimizing it seems like it's probably a better strategy if they're really trying to look at this like long term you know, how to win this information war. And 
I think you'll notice that there'll be less and less coverage in the United States media about Russian media propaganda. Mm-hmm. You know, like even when they're talking about this um, Russian politician who was who was killed recently, they're not talking about RT. You'll just see them talking about Russian media or, or something like they almost like they don't want to mention anymore that RT is a channel. I, yeah. I well, don't did, know you hear, just, did you hear Carrie recently at the. State I did. And that was yeah. weird to me. Yeah. It almost it, it seemed like they went back. Like they sort of like reverted back to the old technique. Like a I don't slip know. Up. It's like Carrie like clearly is super bothered by Russia today. He is. And I think that even someone like Victoria Newland is, mm-hmm. but her and her husband, Robert Kagan, the co-founder of PNAC, are smart enough to know that that's a dumb strategy right. to attack right, RT. Right, right. Because it's just it's dumb. RT fodder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's retarded. I mean, so the best strategy is to ignore it. Mm-hmm. And that's what they were doing before. And they should have kept doing that, but they they just they couldn't help themselves, and they thought that by continually talking about RT propaganda during the the Ukraine thing, that that was going to help them win the information war. I I mean, I to me, I think it set them back even more. Yeah, because it made people tune into RT, and they're like, well, like you were saying, a lot of it is true. <laughs> yeah, I mean. So, I mean, it takes anyone who's, like, not a complete fucking moron, who, who isn't just, like, lapping up everything that the State Department says to l- just see for themselves. And they were just giving free publicity to RT that whole time. You're fucking idiots, man. And really, what's worse? Like, the transparent bias in the, the name Russia Today in the network? Or, or someone like Miriam Elder, mm-hmm. who is clearly getting leaks or has a relationship with the U.S. State Department putting out anti-Russian propaganda on BuzzFeed. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, to me, that's worse because it's more deceptive. It's a, it's more of a lie because it's like you're not. I mean, it's it bothers me more that there are minions putting out leaks from the White House or other people in the U.S. State Department to bludgeon Russia um, than the, the idea that a Russian state funded TV channel exists. Right. And that's and that has so many um, people watching it. I mean, I, I don't know. I think because I mean, for the first time. Like, I don't, I think if anyone's traveled outside of the U.S., you know that a lot of people in the rest of the world, first of all, they all have questions about 9-11. <laughs> they all completely think the, like, ethnocentric bullshit imperialist mindset of the U.S. is despicable. They don't, they don't, like, blame American citizens, but nearly every single fucking person I talk to in every other country totally understands they see through all the bullshit. So it's like the U.S. propaganda, this huge State Department apparatus that's under the, um, I don't even know what the fuck that corporation's called, whatever, that puts out Radio Free Europe and, and Voice of America. Broadcasting Board it's of It's almost governors. like, yeah, the Broadcasting Board of Governors. It's almost like that can only work so much because these people kind of see through it already but i feel like they're so threatened by rt because rt that's finally providing news to americans like americans never saw the truth about their own country before and there's there's really nothing you can combat that with because we've been conditioned with anti-russian propaganda for decades i mean that's not necessarily anything new and if you and if you want to think about it from is let's say that russia's idea of doing rt was like to give the u.s a taste of their own medicine and to set up like the equivalent of like something like radio free Asia, but mm-hmm. here in America, uh, you know, sort of <laughs> whatever. Um, I feel like they were playing around with when it first started, they were playing more around with libertarian points of view ideas. Like they wanted to, because at the time that was the thing that seemed to be causing the biggest rift in the United States. And then they moved over to something more like left 
left-leaning politics, which in a way is always more rooted in, you know, left-leaning foreign policy politics specifically, um, has always been more rooted in an educated sort of humanitarian, like truly humanitarian, um, you know, anti-military point of view. And that's kind of hard to combat with facts because it's a lot of it's true. It's like they're, it's just showing horrifying things that are true that America just tries to hide or brush under the rug. Like, you know, how many people die or how many kids die in this drone strike. I mean, those kinds of, you know, political, it's not even a political point of view. It's just sort of like a style of, you know, news um, delivery that is, you can't argue it with it yeah. with facts. Yeah. And that's the, that's, can, the, that's the most important thing about our tea is the the libertarian voice and the socialist and like radical left voice, both are staunchly opposed to U S militarism. And that is the biggest threat to the empire. I mean, you can talk about domestic issues, immigration all day. um, But really that cuts the core of the entire system. So I think that that is the threat and there was no coverage on RT ever really like promoting war. I mean, that that's the thing is Putin's not bombing countries and, doing all that shit. Yeah, he's funding Assad and yeah, he's doing a bunch of crazy shit in his own country. But that's that's the difference that I see. But in terms of like outwardly like doing shit and encroaching on other countries, like I that's 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 no. what like makes me the most upset and that's where I see the biggest linchpin in you know ending the military industrial complex and that's why RT is so fucking crucial. Because you can't, you won't, and you cannot see that anywhere else other than like democracy now and free speech TV. You literally will not see that as no. we know. And like, especially in the aftermath of the torture report and the build up to the Syria war, there were no other voices. They just were giving platforms to torture apologists and, and fucking war hawks and all these like ex generals and shit. I mean, that, that's when RT is so crucial. That's when that viewpoint is so necessary. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things America uh, fucked up really big time on after nine eleven is they based a lot of the propaganda in like base level mm-hmm. fears and like human emotions that weren't are not based on like critical thinking or you know intellectual thought but so in a way it's actually was very easy you know mm-hmm. someone with enough money like R- like Russia or the RT network could come in and seize on that and actually start to put out critical thought you know, against the United States propaganda machine. And I think that it's, for some reason, the United States government or the military apparatus maybe just was hoping that they could just keep doing these things. And, you know, as long as they had um, sort of enough influence over the media, it would be okay. Um, But I don't know. I mean, it just, I don't see how that was. I I don't know. I honestly don't know. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like right now, there has been some really strange turn of events with Syria where it's like the formerly anti-war left crowd, like I was saying, is now divided on Syria. And it's not it's not this black and white thing anymore that you would expect. Like, oh, well, obviously we shouldn't go into Syria, you know, mm-hmm. another Middle Eastern war. It's more like, no, we should go in. Like the liber- libertarian, inter- I'm sorry, the liberal interventionist humanitarian point mm-hmm. of view seems to have merged completely with the neoconservative point of view for Syria. And, um, and I I can't help but feel like that's not, that's organic. It just seems like there's been an effort made to, to sort of, I guess, suck in a lot of liberals or people who, you know, I don't know. I don't know what your feeling is on that, but no, I mean, of course I experienced it firsthand. (laughs) 
Um, do you want to do you want to yeah. go into that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I wanted to say one more thing about why I'm leaving. It's not because I'm rejecting RT. I'm leaving on very good terms. I completely understand the value of the network, and I never w- ever did a pro Russian story ever. Um, but I know a lot of other shows feel like that's that's their roles. They have to be like defending the, the government and and the country. And you know, I, I I feel for them because I understand that they're constantly barraged. But at the same time, um, I just didn't want to be kind of just thrown like we were just saying the Ukraine shit, the Syria thing. Not that's not why I'm leaving at all. It just became too like I wanted to be out in the field doing my own reporting and investigations and be just i'd I'd rather go independently than be you know be under the umbrella of like a network doing a five-day week show in an office with you know with like a staff that i didn't hand pick either and you want to you want to do investigative reporting with like no you know like the time frame like even if you wanted to do full-blown investigative reporting rt you'd still be extremely limited by like the the time crunch you know yeah exactly resources so it, to do like full-blown investigative reporting you almost have to be independent to some degree to be able to just do it on your own time frame and right. know and like talk to sources and stuff like yeah and travel and that's another thing yeah. people don't realize they when they saw like the cuba stuff that we did which i'm really proud of and i want to talk about that a little bit um but they were fantastic. like they were like wow when you leave like this is why you should stay because you get to do stuff like this and it's like true in a blue fucking moon, I can go leave the studio and do that. That was like unprecedented. But the thing is that if we do go to Detroit or whatever, we're there for two days, we come back and we have to put on those shows that day. There's no, we can't really like, I mean, all of these things could have been like epic documentaries if I had the time, you know, but instead you have to shove it all on a 30 minute time frame. And it just, it's not the way that I want to do journalism in the future. And I, you know, it's all a learning process. I've just realized that over time and how you need to put a lot of precious time and energy to make things really the best they can be. And I mean, it's, it was really rare to end a show and be like, I feel really great about that show. Cause it's doing a live television show. You, you just have one chance and you're going to yeah. fuck up every time and you're just full of self-loathing and you're like, fuck, and now I have to do this all over again tomorrow. And it was just like a constant mind fuck where you didn't even have time to take a step back and be like, okay, like I feel good about this. Let's like try to make it better next time. You just like were thrown into the next day. And if you went out and did something in the field, you have to fucking put it together in like it's an hour. And I get crazy. that's the daily, I get that's like the news grind, but that's not the way that I want to be doing reporting no. right now. And people also have to realize, and I'm just going to give you some praise here, just because I know what you were, what kind of stress you were working under is that people don't know that you wrote most of that material mm-hmm. entirely yourself. Mm-hmm. You had maybe one or two people maximum. And then most of the time you, I mean, towards the end, you only mm-hmm. had one person who was really helping you write or did you have yeah. two? No, I was pretty much one person who was yeah. really helping me write. So think about that compared to any other live daily news show. I mean, right. it's ridiculous. It's actually like, it's actually like really unfair that you weren't given more, more people right. to help you write. I mean, so just, just the fact that you're able to do that every day on your own. I mean, I'm trying to think of it from the posi- the equivalent of like a musician's point of view. And the only, because that's the only, most experience mm-hmm, I have mm-hmm. about having to do something like going on tour, playing a show every day or something. And it's almost like the equivalent of having to learn a whole new set list every day, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. write 
like four new songs and then actually be able to perform them live without really <laughs> even rehearsing every day. Right. And, and can you imagine like the amount of fuck ups and things you would look back on and be like, fuck, like yeah. now I can't do, I can't do those songs anymore. Right, I have right, to right. do new ones today. Like it's, it's just so crazy when you think about how fleeting and impermanent that is. It's just like, I worked all day on this, threw my heart into it and, you know, messed up one thing on the teleprompter. Now I'm just like, now I'm just pissed, you know, that was yeah. my only chance. So it's like, I just, I hope people can appreciate that level of stress and, you know, if they're saying, oh, why don't you stay longer and, you know, do this? I mean, people who have TV shows and, and people who stay in TV shows for a long time have huge amounts of people working John for them. John Stewart and Colbert had like a staff of 40 people. There was like 15 people alone finding all like the clips and everything they would play every day. Yeah. And those guys talk about how stressed out they are. Yeah, and they only have four show. day a week shows, four yeah. day a week shows. And they get huge vacation blocks. Oh yeah. Like every holiday time they get like three, two, three weeks off or mm -hmm, something. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you fucking, you worked your ass off there. And I think if people really knew what you did, you know, they would understand that just from the level of stress that you were under every day, it wasn't something you could, you could do. No, it's you, know, a, you can't. You literally can't. And no. and another thing is that I wanted to do like I think the best things that I was saying, you know, are timeless. Like all of the looking back on historical perspective on like Iran or the history of Palestine, Israel, or like different oh, things that, that, that existed. I wanted to do so much more of that. But the problem is when you are doing a daily show, you have to keep doing the stories of that day. Like it, it's it's hard to write like long form monologues where it's like let's like i like for the last two months that i was there i wanted to do a long-form monologue about maps i know it sounds really stupid but it's like you know like all of the countries that britain drew in and like how how the you know the persian empire became what we know today is like iran and just like all of that i find it really fascinating i don't think a lot of people realize that but at the same time i was like you know, my boss was just like, where's the news peg? Like, we need a peg for you to do this. And I was just like, fuck, like, that's, that's a problem too, because I don't necessarily want things to be like only relevant that day. I no, want everything I do to be like someone looks at it in five years and learn something and can still share it. Because that's the whole thing. It's like, you know, the best thing to be able to do is to be able to, like, as Carl Rove said, to create mm -hmm. your own reality or to create the reality that you want. So, like, if you're always reacting to a news peg right. or having to do things, and you're almost, like, one step behind. You're, exactly. you're reacting to exactly. the news cycle. Exactly. So, so if people want to talk about, you know, what biases did you face at RT or what, you know, what kind of censorship or what kind of, like, things did your boss tell you you had to do, that what you've just described to me was probably their main frustration that you had yeah. because that's what the type of pressure you were under from your boss there was that he wanted you to have everything revolving around news pegs right. and that's and you realized that that wasn't fulfilling to you right. and it's how could it really be fulfilling to anyone who's not just kind of a news junkie it's right. not the news is bullshit most of the time right and it's the you know? same shit it's like how many things can you say about I mean, as horrible as the police brutality stories are, it's like, fuck, like I, I, everything under the sun, like, yes, absolutely worthy of coverage. And we need to keep sharing these videos, of course, but like to have these like end lines, like I was seriously staring at the computer half the day, trying to think of like an epic end line, like, boom, like let's hammer that monologue home. And it's like, fuck, this is not, that. that's not... <laughs> It, there's only so much you can do with going round and around the mulberry bush on that specific thing. 
And yeah, people can talk all day about why did you leave? What pressures are you facing? Sure, of course there's pressures. There's pressures from every fucking news organization. I'm sure RT's on the upside of that. If you look at like a spectrum, man, I can't even imagine the censorship and biases that exist at other networks. Of course Russia has a bias. It's fucking Russia. Of course Russia today has a bias. Like, obviously I wasn't going to go out there every day and talk about Putin and things that were going on domestically in Russia. Like clearly, you know, of course there's self-censorship that exists also, everywhere. Yeah. And also like, I really think that most people who do that and who want to do that properly, like if you're, if you're sort of news angle, as you want to talk about the political climate in Russia, you have to do it with a very extremely educated point of view. You almost have to like speak Russian or not speak Russian, but like read Russian to be yeah, able to yeah, really yeah. do it properly. So I feel like, people wanted expected you to do that to really stay true and honest or whatever it's extremely unreasonable expectation because even if you if you wanted to if that was if you really were passionate about that you know and that's what you wanted to focus on you would almost have to like really dive into it and yeah you'd um, have to like go live there like mark ames and fucking uh Matt Ty Taibbi, Taibbi did. Yeah. like you'd have and to I, like literally live there for five years embrace yourself in the entire political scene and then then maybe you can speak about what the fuck's going on. But like how I've never even been to Russia. I don't speak Russian. Like it's, it's just really dumb. And, um, you know, and I, but I made it very clear to my boss, the entire staff knew this, that if Russia did anything that I found profoundly fucked up, which was the Crimea thing and the MH 370, which we still don't really have an investigation. You mean 17. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's so many oh, missing I planes. But I mean, but that. I mean, basically just like, yes. And I did speak out every time I felt like I needed to, I did. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, it is unfair to be like, how come, you know, oh, I didn't hear you talk about this or that. It's like, well, I don't feel I'm an American citizen and I feel like I know this country most and i'm more most upset about the endless militarism based on imperial bloodlust happening around the world that i can speak on i can speak on that yeah you you're very well um you, you know you know that very well I yeah mean, you're speaking on what you're you know um but i wanted to really just really quickly mention mh17 because mm -hmm. we were we were talking a few minutes back about maybe like 20 minutes back about the um the different things that we know like when I was saying you, when you parse out the different little details from Ukraine and you try to clear away all of the, the media coverage about it and just look at the facts and lay them out, MH17 is an interesting one because regardless of, let's just take, you know, I know most people focused on the side of that of who shot it down, you know, who was the one who was responsible for shooting it down. So either it was, it was Russian separatists or whatever, or um, the, the Ukrainian army. Um, that was sort of the argument going on. But what I thought was more interesting looking back on all that was that the United States government immediately wanted to blame Russia for it. That was the whole premise. It was like before any international investigation was done, before even any real facts were known about, you know, the technical, uh, like the black box, any of that stuff, the United States government was 100% sure convinced and spread it to all the media networks that these Russian separatists had bragged about shooting down a plane on a social media site. Remember that? So, I mean, to me, that's the story. It's like, why was the U.S. so determined to go out there and blame Russia? That's not something normal for them to do, you know, like, unless there was an agenda behind it. The agenda well, unfortunately, was... Unfortunately, Russia immediately started deflecting with a bunch of ridiculous shit. And it's like, they should have just said... 
look, this is crazy that you're leaping to these conclusions. Let's start the investigation. And exactly. they did say yeah. that, but unfortunately they went really far and they started to say that it was like, they thought it was like Putin's plane. And yeah, they flipped. You know, well, just they, like yeah, they really had fortunate. Yeah. The Putin's plane thing was, was really dumb. Um, all they should have done really. I mean, and even this would have been dumb. I mean, that's the thing. It's like the tit for tat cold yeah, war yeah, mentality yeah. of like just reversing it on the other side, you know, being like, Oh, well, you know, they were saying for a while that Ukrainian army shot it down, which to me, I mean, at the outset of the event, the either if the Ukrainian army shut it down or the Russian separatists, for me, a person not having the facts, those are equally likely possibilities for me, you know, person just sort of watching it unfold. So, but it's unfortunate that that's, you know, Russia didn't come out and try to be the more reasonable one. Instead, they sort of threw it back in the United States' face. It's almost States like they face. just fed into it. Yeah, it's exactly. like, it's like well, the U.S. The wanted them to. Yeah. No, exactly. That, and that's the whole problem. It's making everybody fall into this mentality right. of just total, I mean, it is like Cold War mentality. It is. And 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 the the problem with that was that, it was immediate and because of you know that response from russia it just makes it more convoluted so it's like what really happened there right. you know i mean ukraine has a history of shooting down commercial airliners but again that doesn't tell me that in that right, instance right, right. it was shut down by them but it's like that was the whole thing with that is we wanted the world right. to think that russia right. shot it down immediately and that's a problem i mean that's something oh, that the us sh- is is really playing with fire when when they do that shit but it's like it's crazy to think that that's what we tried to do. And we just tried to, um, you know, I mean, it, it's it seriously the, like, yeah, it reminds me of a year ago when the Crimea thing initially happened and everyone, I remember when I told <laughs> plugging the Piers Morgan interview again, like Liz Wall style, but like, um, I mean, basically that's what the corporate media has been doing this whole time is literally like instigating war with russia over this shit it's like we can't let russia do this it's like let them do what like what the fuck are you talking about yeah i mean it's just completely audacious and another but another thing that russia did that that they fucked up on and they're still fucking up on it is that they refuse to admit that they've like funded rebels at all so when you just like deny when there's like clearly russian military equipment like in in different regions of ukraine like whatever just i mean it's just like when you just deny it it's just kind of like fuck like it's just hard to really know what the fuck's going on because you have russia continuing to deny it at all and then you have the u.s like openly admitting that they're going to fund the ukrainian government yeah it's an interesting inverse isn't it yeah the united states government if you really trace it back to all these statements it's very clear that they wanted to and there's this project that has been talked about ever since Strobe Talbot, uh, this guy in the U.S. State Department um, in the 80s, who Victoria Newland was, that was her first appointment, was working for him. And he was kind of her mentor. But this project of a Europe whole free and at peace was sort of this like Cold War era project of the U.S. State Department where they wanted to unify Europe basically against Russia, you know, and make sure that these states had autonomy from Russia. And now they keep talking about this project again, as if it's just totally like a reactivated thing. And I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people said the Hawks all came back out after 9-11 and tried to, you know, you know, jump back in like a lot of the Reagan era Hawks. Well, you know, it's the U.S. government has a lot of different factions and people with these projects and stuff that they want to do. 
and they're not all on the same page. And and I see this as a similar thing, but it's like a different faction that used to be really prominent in the U.S. government was sort of brushed to the side after the Cold War. They didn't really have any importance. And now it's like they're completely in the forefront again. And they are literally saying this phrase again, that they want a Europe whole free and at peace. Like this old dust, you know, they dusted off this old 80s talking point project and they're sort of using it again. Like it's a, like it's an ongoing thing that they still want to do. It's just crazy to think that these cold warrior people have been thinking about this the whole time and like sort of waiting for the opportunity to do it. And now they have it. And I just, to me, that's just so surreal, you know, that, I mean, so it's not just that we're using Cold War rhetoric, it's that we're actually using like Cold War projects that were put on the back burner. Um, and I just don't think most people know that, you know, that's, that's a really important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is the new wave. This is the new wave. Yeah. Middle East is destroyed. <laughs> um, one really funny thing that happened at the end of the show was John McCain completely oh insane i don't even know what the hell was going on i it's hard to believe that he's running his own twitter account because he's like so fucking crazy but i but what he actually tweeted makes me think he was which is that he actually tweeted out a segment that i did about him and said vladimir continues his attacks against me i'm honored hashtag russia and it was a video that i made about him talking about how he said he hates gooks that, you know, talking about all of his insane errors and flaws in judgment, not even just flaws in judgment, his crazy warmongering, arming rebels everywhere in the fucking world, never met a war he didn't love, just making him look like a fucking ass, dude, like the ass he is and the Sarah Palin shit and like that, he promoted it to all of his following. It was insane. And I was just like, dude, if you're not running your account, like this person should get fired because you just tweeted out that you are like a war criminal to literally millions of people, I find it hard to believe that he actually watched that and was like, yeah, I'm going to tweet this out. That was truly amazing. I I mean, I, I, (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Uh, yeah, the things you say, you show of him in that video are ridiculous. Like, like it would be, it's almost, it's funny to think like when, when he didn't, he wasn't responsible for like killing 30 people or something in In Hanoi. Yeah. Yeah. But like of of his own men, right? Like there was, or no, it was his dad or something. I don't even remember. Anyways, yeah, John McCain. Um, I didn't also realize how much of a hawk he was until I started working on this yeah. foreign policy initiative movie. And that's, it's pretty crazy. Like he's, he's never really been labeled a neocon, but he's out there more oh than almost God, anyone yeah. else. As far as like a prominent face, he's probably the most prominent, you know, household name that's going out spreading this stuff. Um, about Syria and Ukraine. And yeah, going back to what you said about, is he senile? What's wrong with him? I mean, I don't know if something's wrong with him, but I've been watching clips. I found three different clips of his where he mistakenly calls the Syrian rebels ISIS and talks about them oh positively. My like, God. like over and over again. And oh it's just, it's God. weird. Yeah. Really, really strange. Oh. But that was beautiful though. The, the response to him and then, uh, you did um, a final segment about him on your show where you played another clip of him saying he's committed war crimes, <laughs> where he himself admits that he said, I've committed war crimes. Yeah, it was and like, in the, women con- and yeah, it was like in the context of him being, it was hilarious because people hated me for it because they were like, you're taking this out of context. It's like, look, first of all, it's hilarious that John McCain is saying this on video. So no, but also he's saying it in the context of that 
as he was a POW, he like said he like he said that he was forced to say that. But the thing is, he did bomb women and children. That's all documented. So I thought it was like a hilarious admission within the context of him actually being a war criminal, literally bombing all these people. But in that interview, he was saying like, yeah. I, you know, they, I basically like said that I was a war criminal and I bombed <laughs> children. It was really funny. Yeah, it was great. It. I mean, fuck him. He is. Yeah. He is a fucking war criminal. Sorry. Yeah. The guy's a piece of shit, man. I mean, yeah, I don't even understand um, what he's up to. Like why he's going to Syria, why he's going yeah, to Ukraine. On the is that on the White Ukraine. House's dime? What is Obama thinking? Right. Is he, is he, is he instructing McCain to right. go? Right, like who, what is he doing? What the I mean, hell is, is he thing. doing? People say Obama's worse than Jimmy Carter and all these, these stupid um, things where it's like that's the worst president ever or whatever. So like Obama's even worse. I mean, I don't even, it's hard to even characterize his presidency at, at this point because it's like what, who is really doing these things? Right. It's really bizarre. I mean, right. Obama, I don't, I'm not going to say he's not running the, you know, he's not in charge of the ship because I don't know. All I know is that why, like, it just doesn't make sense why McCain is going across the world, this old man flying internationally into a basically almost a war zone in Ukraine and like trying to rally the Ukrainian people. I mean, who arranged that? It's just, right. it's so bizarre. Right. So and it happened bizarre. and it happened. And when, when I was doing that segment, I looked into all of the past 10 years and he did it everywhere. He was on the ground in Libya. Oh yeah. Holding up arms of rebels there. And I was like, what the fuck? Like everywhere that you see that the U S is just like destroyed. There's McCain. There he is. It's fascinating. There he is. He's on the ground holding in the arms of rebels, cheering, doing fucking speeches. But then when it comes to Iran, that's when it gets a little murky because he's actually accepted money from fucking ex-terrorists there. But it's okay yeah. because they're, I guess, rebels too who want to overthrow, you know, the government. So it's okay. It's okay when they're good terrorists. And I watched this, I watched the hearing, um, the, uh, I don't know, if, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was like Victoria Newland testifying to the Senate, like, like of her about her appointment of the secretary of state for Eurasian affairs, like her newest appointment and all the senators were getting to sort of ask her questions, you know, grill her or whatever. And it was just funny to see that the two people who had gone to the foreign policy initiative and like, were obviously friendly with Robert Kagan were like, one of them was Marco Rubio giving like total softball questions to her. He actually seemed kind of like a f intimidated mm -hmm. by her. Cause Robert Kagan's like sitting right next to her, sort of like staring. Yeah. And then when John McCain does it, he, he, he goes really hard at her about Russia. Cause this is before, this is like after the Russia reset and like right after the Syria, no vote, I think mm -hmm. by Russia. So it was like before the Crimea thing. And John McCain is like, like, it's at first, it seems like he's sort of like bludgeoning her with all this stuff where he's like, you know, I don't understand why we're still, why we're not, you know, increasing the sanctions on Russia already. They just, they just smeared a dead man in the newspaper. Like, I'm really disappointed in what you said about Russia. And he's like, first, it seems like he's like really being really hard on her. And Robert Kagan is sort of sitting there with this like weird, awkward look on his face. And then at the end of it, He's like, and I also have to say, I'm not, uh, I'm not fond of your choice of spouses either. And he like looks over Robert Kane, um, Robert Kagan and they both, they all laugh together. And like, it's obviously like a, like, it almost just seemed like a pre-planned thing where he told her he was going to ask her a really hard question. And then it was just going to be like a, for show or something like it, it. Do you know what I mean? Like 
like in those House of Cards episodes where it's like they have like a public sort of shouting match, but behind the scenes it's not. It's like they agree that they're cool with each other, kind of a thing. Right. I don't even know if I'm making sense, but that's. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have found a funny video clip of that. It's just, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Robert Kagan and McCain seem to be awfully fond of each other. Like when I hear Robert Kagan talk about McCain, it's like he thinks he's like one of the best like politicians we have today, basically. Oh yeah, so, of course they love each other. He's doing yeah. all his dirty work, sending out this old fucking man in these war zones, just rallying it up. Rallying and I just—I guess up. I just never thought of McCain being like the voice and the right. face well, yeah, of these neoconservative policies until recently. Like, I mean, because when he was when he was, um, you know, during the Bush administration and stuff, he was acting like he was not as right like, hawkish as them or something. You know. Like that was sort of his his uh, his stance then. Like he wanted to try oh, to like, like anti torture and yeah yeah. So it is it's just weird to see that him come around. I mean it's just all bullshit game, you know. Right. Like all these people, ultimately, like yeah, there what I mean the rift between the neoconservatives and McCain never really existed in the first place. I don't think you know it's probably just a political you know rivalry between him and the Bush family, and that's really all it boiled down to. But I, what I thought was all odd too is that. McCain only had like 1.9 million, and not that I'm thinking Twitter's like the litmus test of how much support you actually have, but it showed either all of his support is like extremely old and doesn't use the internet. But I mean, isn't it weird for someone who almost became president to only have like a million, like not even two million Twitter followers? It like is, how did yeah. How you get that many votes? Well, it doesn't even make any sense. Well, there, I don't know if you remember like how much people bashed him for a while like before he this is a weird thing about him running for president in 08 is like in some ways it was even more of a disappointment than when Romney won the primary for the Republicans in, in 2012 because people were very unhappy they like Republicans everywhere hated McCain yeah, they for a while want him to be the candidate like Lori's parents you know they're they're pretty much like on the same page as Fox News like Fox News sort of taught them to hate John McCain and a lot of Republicans felt the same way. So it was, it's weird that, so it almost somewhat makes sense why he doesn't have more Twitter followers. Like, I almost feel like most of the people who are following him and are behind him now are more of this DC think tank circle, you know? Yeah. Because he seems to be totally willing to stick his neck out for any military foreign intervention right. before the White House wants to. <laughs> so it's just fucking crazy. Speaking of shit happening that makes you question what is really going on, Netanyahu's speech. So oh so APAC was just in town this whole week. It was a great pleasure. The entire city was shut the fuck down because BB was probably getting slurpees and, you know, they have to shut down, like, entire blocks. So, like, no one can get around... There's all these assholes running around, you know, APAC people. And so Netanyahu comes and it was like this huge thing. I don't know why, to tell you the truth, because I didn't think that anyone had actually had a problem with Israel in terms of the in terms of Congress. It seems like everyone's pretty unabashedly supportive of like this murderous, crazy regime, even Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. So I was weirded out already that there was people who were like we're going to boycott the speech like actual congress people were like we're not going to go to the speech and netanyahu shouldn't come here i was like that's weird why would they be saying that and then i found out that it it's like not even that he like he literally was just invited by like zionist congressmen to fucking speak to like in congress to them like since when have you ever heard of a foreign leader 
getting invited, like overstepping the presidency, and I'm not giving Obama any credence whatsoever. I think it's all like a game, to tell you the truth. I think it's all political theater. But it was just so surreal. It was like Congress just is like, come here and speak to us. And then he gives this absurd speech. I mean, just as you'd expect, just as he did to the UNGA two years ago with the bomb chart, the Acme bomb chart, which, by the way, leaked documents came out a couple weeks ago that said Mossad, even at that time when he was giving the cartoon bomb chart speech, Mossad had said that Iran has zero nuclear program. Zero. So that's Israeli intelligence actually saying that in documents back then. So he's been giving the same speech for the last 10 years about fear-mongering about Iran's nuclear program. Meanwhile, Israel really has the nukes. Israel doesn't allow the IAEA inspectors in. Israel's the one who's going on a fucking murderous rampage and a threat to all its neighbors. That's the real problem. But of course, Netanyahu's speech was like insane, like crazy, out-of-control, warmongering, fear-mongering shit. At the end of it, like 30 congressmen just gave him a standing ovation for like five minutes. And then I saw Nancy Pelosi tweeting or not tweeting. Someone like wrote an article saying like Nancy Pelosi was in tears because she was so upset. And I was like, what is going on? I was like, was Nancy Pelosi upset because like Netanyahu, like, you know, is she like finally becoming human? And she's like, oh man, like this war criminal was here. And then I read it and it was like, no, she was just upset that he criticized Obama and she was insulted that he criticized the president. I was like, this is a fucking game, dude. This is all fake. I don't know what the hell is going on. But it reminded me of Cheney and Bush and all these people. Because when you put it out there so strongly and aggressively, then it makes whoever's not Netanyahu look sane. You know what I mean? It's like when you say, like, we should invade Iran and we should bomb all these countries and we should, like, do this and that. Like, peace is not unconditional, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, whoever's the not nihilistic lunatic whoever's next in line of the Israeli cabinet's going to be like you know the pendulum swings and it's like the Obama it's like oh well at least he's not a crazy Netanyahu yeah. I just feel like it's like it's that kind of stuff that we're seeing now where it's like the same as people got hoodwinked into Obama where it's like well at least it's not Romney at least it's not McCain it's like that's like how over the top Netanyahu's become that it just makes it like well man anything less than that is good i guess and yeah, that's and that's yeah. the policy and that's what obama supports right i mean i mean the the policy to israel's unwielding it's not that that's changed it's not that we've talked about alleviating the three billion dollars in you know funding militarily that we're giving them it's not like we've been talking about seizing the funding for the iron dome we haven't talked about that at all so that's no. i mean so it's like yeah we can all like play games and be like oh Netanyahu, like insulted the president but it's like well what's really happening have we are we still funding them three and a half billion dollars every year are we still like pledging our fucking undying support for israel okay well nothing then then speak to me when that happens because this is all a joke but one thing that was really good is seeing a huge sect of orthodox jews jewish people um, out in front of the Capitol protesting his speech. And I've seen these people before this, this specific group met with Ahmadinejad. I remember like six years ago, I think I saw that video and I was, I didn't really understand the situation that much. And I was like, whoa, it was like the first thing that I saw that was like, what is this? Like, how are all these Jewish people opposing Israel and then like meeting with Ahmadinejad? It like made no sense to me, but that was the beginning of my like, oh wait, like Zionism is different than Judaism. Like, you know, there's like a lot of Jewish people who actually oppose 
the foundation of Israel. And there's like all these very complex things about the origin of Israel and like the Judaism slash Zionist rift. And I was, but that was like what really woke me up to that was like seeing them meet with Ahmadinejad. And I met that same guy out in front of the Capitol. So that was cool. Nice. But yeah, I mean, it's just disgusting. And it's just a matter of time before they go on another fucking bombing campaign. I, I was talking to this guy, Miko Piled, who's the son of an Israeli general. His family was one of the founding families of Israel. And he's hardcore anti-Zionist. He's all about boycott, divestment, sanctions. We need to isolate Israel and make them capitulate, just like white apartheid South Africa. And I was talking to him. Fuck, what was I talking to him about? Totally just lost my train of thought. Um, I don't even know. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, well, the, totally I guess lost that. It is, it is really hard to tell how much... I guess that goes back to my point before is like how much is Obama running the ship mm-hmm. at this point and was there did a sort of I guess chain reaction effect happen after mm-hmm. he conceded um when he originally tried to go into Syria mm-hmm. the first time mm-hmm. that was a very pivotal event that and Iran I mean for the most part he's been doing more diplomacy on Iran than you know what I mean that, I mean, sanctions are really bad but yeah that's that true too. but but here's what I think. I think that the Iran thing, I, okay, part of me thinks that the Iran thing, like even the neocons know how crazy it would be. Mm-hmm, I mean, like, mm-hmm. it, like, you know how you people used to say Iran is the prize? Yeah. I mean, it might be, but it's also like, it is, it is one of the most industrialized, thriving. Yeah, they have a huge army. <laughs> and, and it's like a very, it's a very like civilized uh, educated country. There's a lot of capitalism there. It would be an invasion like we've never seen on the history of uh, the planet. Nobody's ever invaded a country with a military like Iran right. ever. And the, the, at least Iran in its current state. I mean, in terms of technology, um, you know, I can't, I'm trying to think of another example and I can't. I mean, Iraq, Iraq is probably the closest, but that's I mean, they were way less far yeah, you're along right. and in who, terms and, of Yeah, and Rouhani and, is not Ahmadinejad. I mean, the new leadership of Iran is not nearly as divisive and not nearly as like antagonistic toward the U.S. So I think that they're just like, as we've talked about before, I mean, they're, they're just like playing into the whole diplomatic negotiations because they just want the sanctions lifted. So they're like, yeah, 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 like whatever you guys fucking need, it's different than Ahmadinejad. So it's like there's not as much tension no, but you know the neocons, I mean? yeah, the neocons now, they just talk about the Ayatollahs. Yeah, like that's yeah, the, yeah, where they totally. switch to. Cause it's like, right. they want people to think they, their whole narrative is they want people to believe that the Ayatollahs mm-hmm. are actually the ones in charge mm-hmm. of the country and the government's just sort of like going along. So it's like, well, once the Iran gets a nuke, then the Ayatollahs and the, like the religious fundamentalists are going to get to decide where that nuke goes or whatever. And it's, yeah, it's, that's their whole thing. But like, I almost, I think the Syria thing specifically really upset them not in the same way that Bay of Pigs upset the the CIA and stuff and when under Kennedy, but similar similarly. Right. I mean, it's not like what the Bay of Pigs was. I mean, it would have been like if Obama decided to invade Syria and then call back the air support or something, because mm-hmm. that's kind of what the Bay of Pigs was. It was like I'm not sure if it was. Yeah, I think wasn't that what it was? Where it was like I the mean, C- I mean, but but soldiers did go into Cuba. No, they did, but I'm saying it was only ground soldiers, and mm-hmm. we were Kennedy was supposed to tell the military to like do air bombing. Yeah, it's because support. they got so badly destroyed. Like yeah. Cuba was like way better p- prepared than they thought, so they like had to call it back. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think it was something. I don't remember the exact details, mm-hmm. but it was like I think to these warhawks and these these neocons out in DC, the Syria thing was to them like the sign that they they don't care after that like what Obama decides to do. Right. It's not it's no longer about well, trying to put a pressure and look on at what Obama. They've done. They fucking like let the DHS funding run out. It's like what are are you guys out of your minds? Weren't you guys the one who lobbied ferociously for the uh, the entire new department, this giant, absurd, bureaucratic agency, the Department of Homeland Security, and then you just let the funding run out? It's like just to... And we're not apologizing for Obama at all. We think Obama's a war criminal. But the thing is, it's very obvious that there's like this really bizarre rift where you're right. There's a lot of players in the game who are pissed that we didn't go far enough. That's why I'm scared of Hillary, because we know that she's going to go super fucking hard. She oh, is yeah. McCain. I mean, she's basically just McCain. That's her. Oh, I wanted to say really quickly. I forgot what I was going to say about Miko Piled. I was asking Miko Piled, the the um, Israeli Jewish guy, about about like going to Gaza because I was like, I really want to go to Gaza. How can I get in? And he was like, You can't. He was like, A year ago, I got snuck in through a tunnel, and he was like, That's that was Israel's whole objective in the last operation. They just destroyed every fucking tunnel. You cannot get in. He was like, you literally won't be able to get in Gaza. I was like, wow. And I was like, how did Banksy get in? <laughs> did you how see did that Max video? How did Max get in? That's the thing. How did Max get in? I don't... I fu- to There's got to be a way. There's Wait, got there to, be to be a way. way. Ben got in. I mean... There's got to be a way. It's just like... It's just unfortunate that they've... You know, that was like their whole thing is that they just destroyed all the tunnels. It was unfortunate. <laughs> I mean, back to what you were saying about there's a crazy, mm-hmm. weird, yeah, we're not, we don't want anybody to think we're apologizing for Obama at all. I agree with you. He is a war criminal. It's already gone far past that point. But that doesn't change the fact that there are some clear, weird rifts that have happened. And um, neocons have tried to use this against Obama. But I think that it's an interesting just in and of itself that like even Hillary Clinton came out after she left the administration she came out and said that everybody in the Pentagon and like in the, you know, the heads of the whatever, like the different, the joint chiefs or whatever, were telling Obama and even all of his advisors in his cabinet were telling him to fund the rebels in Syria and to overthrow Assad basically after the chemical weapons red line thing. And he backed and he was like the sole, apparently the sole no and he, and he, it was like his final decision and he said no. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, if that's true... That's really interesting. It doesn't mean that he's a pacifist or anything or that he's like changing his mind on being a war criminal, but it still reflects something interesting, I think. Even if it's not true, if that's bullshit, the fact that Hillary Clinton would come out and say that against someone she just served under, you know, it's odd. I don't think it's very, not not very many Bush officials that I know of besides Richard Clark did anything like that, you know? Right. Um, so, and I don't know. I mean, who knows? I mean, we haven't, I mean, they're bombing uh, Syria, uh, they're bombing Syria now too? So we're bombing both? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, essentially we're doing what we were going to do before, except now the the stated target is not Assad. It's mm-hmm. just to and take out ISIS. And it gets more confusing because it's like Assad clearly wants, like the reason, you know, when, when Assad was like, oh, we're going to see this as an act of war if the U.S. starts bombing us. And then we were like, why haven't they said anything? Well, it's obvious. They want the U.S. to be bombed. It behooves Assad for the U.S. to be bombing ISIS. That's who they've been bombing. Why wouldn't they want the air support of, it's just like really, it's just really convoluted. And it's like just really confusing because I, 
I mean, yes, they want the U.S. to be bombing ISIS, but at the same time, that would be, it's like crazy that they're just allowing the U.S. to bomb, you know what I mean? To bomb Syria. It's the weirdest thing in the world that we've never gotten an explanation on. Right. We started to demonize a world leader in the same way we did to Saddam. Totally unrelated to ISIS. Totally unrelated to ISIS. Totally unrelated to ISIS. But interestingly, neocons who have been following the history of this and the timeline even closer than we have are intentionally rewriting history now to make it seem like when we wanted to fund the Syrian rebels before that it was to fight ISIS. What? Jamie Kirchick. Oh, God. The lie. I mean, he's a pathological liar because I know I'm going to give him some credit here. He's smart enough to know that that's not true. Obviously, of right? Of course. He's not a fucking total idiot, but which is even weirder, he's he was blatantly lying on television saying that that was the original intention. Wow. That that Obama made fun of these rebels and they wanted to fight Assad. I mean, they wanted to fight ISIS. So See, typical, I'm even mixing it typical up Jamie Kirchick, because this is how these people operate. Just like when he tried to talk shit to me on Twitter and I was just like posted an email that he sent me like groveling wanting to talk to me saying reaching out and all he could do was say for, you forged the email and it's like that's that's what they try to do that's their only way is just lying through their teeth because they know that n- half the people who see that won't really follow up and be like oh did you know what i mean they're just gonna be like oh she forged the email or like they're not gonna go back and be like oh was that the original thing of like why we're going into syria it's like they just take it by for face value and that's yeah, how no. they operate about everything well it's i mean a the smart guy tactic no it, i mean it's a smart tactic but it's like i don't think jamie kirchick has the moral principles i guess even even what he, you know what he claims to have to me it's just an insight onto how much he is actually pathological because it was like his the way that he lied about it was so blatantly a lie that the other guy on the show called him on it like yeah. on tv and i mean so it was interesting, even, you know, it couldn't even slip past the host or the guy because it was like a clear, you know, and maybe they thought he was just misremembering history. Right. But I know watching it that he was clearly lying. Right. No doubt in my Absolutely. mind. Jamie's a smart guy. Wow. And um, it was it was fascinating to watch that because I usually I can't tell exactly when like the neocons are usually good at just sort of like making it sound like an intellectual argument. And this was a time where I sort of saw that slip away to just like the bare manipulative lie, like mm-hmm. the switcheroo kind of right, like right, technique. Right. And it was like, oh shit, like they fucking, it's almost like Jamie Kirchick is the one who reveals the hand of this like right. neocon fuckery. He did it before with Liz Wall. Like that was super obvious, like totally right. sloppy. He did it again. I mean, but he, nobody saw him do this right, time. Right. It's just Another thing that the Pentagon's been saying um, that's hilarious is that no civilians have died. <laughs> but at the same time, so, okay, we hear the numbers that there's like 30 to 40,000 ISIS people, right? But then the Pentagon says we've killed 6,000 of them. So it's like, wait, we've already killed like, like a sub- really substantial amount, like a fifth or a fourth of the entire contingent of ISIS fighters, yet no civilians have died whatsoever. So it's like, all we've done is just kill ISIS fighters. And it's- it like makes absolutely no sense it makes no sense too even if you follow the 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 narrative that they're putting out like which is that isis is actually taking like slave soldiers they're like forcing people to be recruited and fight or they're creating an atmosphere that is so intimidating that you feel that if you don't join you'll like be killed or you'll something bad will happen to you so it's i mean if it wasn't bad enough that we were carpet bombing places in Mm -hmm. iraq to kill 
insurgents. Now we're just saying, oh, we're going after ISIS, but it's not that simple. ISIS is not just no. these people are really passionate about ISIS. There are people who have been caught up in this mess who live there and see that they have no other choice. If they don't join ISIS or if they don't, you know, do things for ISIS, run errands for them or help them do, you know, get supplies or whatever, then they'll be killed by ISIS. Right. Or and what the- choice do they have, especially in Iraq? There is no fucking functional government. ISIS moved in there and they're like redistributing wealth. They're like patrolling the streets. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. understand what these people think ISIS is doing. And also Al Qaeda for that matter, because case in point, I know we've talked about this before, how like Al Qaeda operates as a gang. It's like, yeah, Al Qaeda is like managing the neighborhood. They do shit for people. It's not that they just come in with fucking guns and they're just like mass raping and like executing people. Like they function as like a small government apparatus in these areas. And case in point is this really tragic to wrap up the broadcast, this really tragic story about a kid in Yemen um, whose dad was killed by a drone strike who lived in an Al Qaeda controlled territory. But I mean, these they're kids. This is a fucking family. They're not Al-Qaeda. They simply live in this neighborhood that Al-Qaeda like controls large swaths of these lands in Yemen, probably due to the drone strikes. They probably gain more control. And so this kid's like dad and like the oldest son or whatever died in this drone strike. And the guardian gave the surviving family members and it was like 10 other children. They gave him a camera and they were like, just document your life. And so over the next year, the kid like documented his life and would, they'd talk about drones all the time, how they couldn't sleep, that they were just living in constant terror of like these robots. And they would talk about like Al Qaeda and like just a really honest rendition of what their life was like. And then lo and behold, that fucking kid, along with his other siblings, die in a drone strike. And that's how that story ends. God. It would almost be like, it's almost like a meta art project if it wasn't someone's fucking life we're talking about, like someone who actually died, multiple people who died. It's like it's so disturbing. abstract. Wow. You know what I mean? And the people who are like, oh, we're just killing people who deserve it. It's like, well, what, what are the chances that that happens? Like how many fucking drone strikes are we carrying out? And Yemen is already a failed state. Why? Like what? What are we trying to achieve there by carrying out more drone strikes after the country's on the brink of total collapse? And what are the fucking chances? The, the huge coincidence that we just happen to take out like the same family members for no reason. These people weren't terrorists. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. that should show people right there what the drone wars are about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, really it's unfortunate. It was a very sad story. I I didn't hear that until you told me about it yesterday. Awful. Um, I wanted to say one more thing about mm-hmm. Syria, and I couldn't, can't remember what I was gonna say. Shit. What was was there something we missed about Syria that um, we wanted to talk about? Other than just the reactionary shit from people who were like, just really insane that like they just think that it's like hip to just jump on the bandwagon of saying that we need to like intervene. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. That the ISIS, um, the uh, the videos. I mean, there's so many. They're so good at like video production and mm-hmm. cinematography that it's kind of it's interesting just in and of itself. You know, from like a media analysis point of view, um, that they've seized on that like the the United States government is now sort of 
really hyping up a lot of these videos, and so is the U.S. press. And they're really the presentation is like amazing in some of them. But one of the videos I found the most revealing was they kidnapped a BBC reporter, I think, like almost like six months ago. And instead of beheading him or like making him kneel down on the ground and like to read a piece of paper, they actually like made him go out and look like really casual, like he was doing BBC reporting with a microphone and like go around the caliphate and like show how nice it was to live there and how like ISIS is not stifling people and how like they're actually helping the community. So to me, it was a revealing insight into what ISIS's actual motivations are like, you know, it doesn't matter that they have these hell, you know, they they claim they're hell bent on, you know, dominating the whole planet and Islamic religion or whatever. That's like, I mean, that's obviously extremely unrealistic, like no ragtag militia, no matter how many U.S. weapons, you know, they, f- they found in some stockpile and they're not going to be able to do that. It's obviously a total pipe dream, but obviously to me, that's like what's more important to them. They want to, f- they want people to, s- to look up to them. Like they want they want to people to feel like that they're going to support them, you know, like anybody trying to rule over people. And I, I think that also shows that they're not as powerful as we try to make them out to be. That it's almost like they were trying to win PR among the community, which was just so weird because it's like, who who's going to see that other than English speaking people? No one's going to believe that here. It was just, it was just kind of almost sad to think that that was. They actually thought that that was going to work. Like get this and BBC it, reporter. But you're right. It, it destroys the narrative that they're just like this crazy. I mean, they are crazy in a lot of ways. But I mean, this like they have like no goals and they just are just like going out on this fucking bloody rampage, just like mass execution and this and that. Like they clearly are like any other insurgency group that wants to actually, you know, control. The country, like you were saying, like actually take over territories and run them, like run them actually like a small municipality, which is and just, it's just different. Like, yeah. Who the fuck knows if this is all, I don't know. And all the videos too, that are coming out. Like they're all, a lot of them are made by what seem like different groups, different people mm-hmm. within quote unquote ISIS. But I mean, it doesn't seem like they really have, not saying that they're like Al Qaeda, but they don't seem like they have like a top down organization you know mm-hmm. like um like with that video that came out of you know alleged isis people throwing gay men off of a roof did you hear about mm-hmm. that oh yeah i saw that yeah. i mean that video was that a pr video that they made to try to release to the public or was that just like them you know some crazy guy filming on a cell phone some other insurgent guys murdering knows, some gay dude? people it's like so yeah Who that's what i'm saying knows we make it seem like this organization has this really specific intent. You know, they want to caliphate. They want to spread all over the world. They want this and this. But I mean, it, it just like any other, you know, insurgency that just sort of came out of nothing, it seems like they there's a lot of conflicting seemingly points of view within the organization itself, like different priorities, you know. So I find that interesting that we... We just try to lump it all in together as like one thing, yeah. you know, like they have this, they have these leaders and they're putting mm-hmm. out these videos. It's not, that's not, it's not that simple. Right. Yeah. It's definitely not that simple. Never is. Um, there's a lot more to talk about. Unfortunately I have to go, but a lot more to talk about. I wanted to talk about Cuba and a bunch of other stuff. So we'll, we'll definitely have to do another podcast soon, but we'll about, we're about to do this a lot more. And I wanted to reach out to everyone and say that I'm going to do a big cross country and potentially global like 
not Toral at the same time, but I want to start like reaching out. And if anyone lives in an area that they think that they could set me up with like a speaking engagement or an art show or anything like that, or can think of a really great hard hitting interview um, that I can do on my future endeavors. So I just want to be mobile and I want to plan out a bunch of different things. So if you have any ideas, please email our webmaster at info at mediaroots.org. Of course, we're always taking submissions there as well for our website. Donations are more appreciated now than ever, now that I don't have a steady <laughs> income. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm just excited to, to delve in the unknown and, and follow my heart. And I'm really stoked to have you by my side, Robbie. Thanks for all your support over the years. And it's been it's been an interesting and crazy journey, but on to the next chapter. Yeah, and uh, and that sounds really exciting. And I just wanted to clarify, uh, you, you want people to... You want to you want to know if there's anybody like around the country who would yeah. be really good for you to interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. Yeah, that's so. And I think yeah, if anybody has any ideas for that, like you know, people living in various states around the country who would be really good fit for for your interviewing style and your politics, you know, like help help us out, give us some suggestions, and um, and yeah, we're going to continue doing this. We're going to try eventually to start doing a video version of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're working towards that still. So yeah, next time we'll do that for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much everyone for listening. Check out the SoundCloud timeline, check out media roots radio for the rest of our podcasts. And it's just the beginning of a lot of great shit. We're not going away. I'm coming back guns blazing motherfuckers. <laughs> never, never stop. Can't yeah. stop. Won't stop media roots. And, uh, and we, well, I have a film that's going to come out, um, probably in a few months. That's, uh, based off of sort of the foreign policy initiative the neocons pushing us into a new cold war um and you're in it dude you're in it a little bit abby yeah and i think i don't want to toot my own horn too much but i mean as far as honing in specifically on the people who are pushing for this and their propaganda there's really nothing else out there that that's this thorough i mean Mm -hmm. you know and if jamie kirchick listening to this i mean i hope that you're excited that I have literally combed through every single video appearance you've ever done and found you telling lies, um, just saying ridiculous shit, um, yeah, it's basically a little making you look, for look like a crazy warmonger. Kirchy Kirch. He's going to be excited because he is a star in this film. Good. And um, so is Robert Right Kagan. from our basement. Yeah. Right yeah. from our mom's basement. I'm editing. I'm actually <laughs> finishing editing the film in our mom's basement right now. So. <laughs> I have love a little it. Final Cut Studio oh, set up uh, in there. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. What's up? Oh man, good shit. Um, cool, Robbie. Uh, I will talk to you very soon. And good night and good luck, everyone. And uh, yeah, everybody out there, have a good rest of your evening or day. And right. uh, let's let's do it again soon, Abby. Peace out. Bye.